Hello, I'm Zeb Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, inspiration, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their journey to advance patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization that I may be affiliated with. Folks, so we're going to have a, a wonderful discussion today about a, a, a topic I believe is so important and so crucial for healthcare today. Um, if it's executed well, as it is in the hands of our guests today, it has tremendous benefits for patients, families, communities, for providers and health systems, and ultimately for our society. Um, I, I personally believe it is a critical uh, a missing piece of the puzzle uh, for healthcare uh, in our future. And uh, not to keep you in any more suspense, what I'm talking about is the topic of community health workers. And um, we're going to get into it now. We're so fortunate to have a wonderful uh, guest on our show who is both a physician and an expert in this area, Dr. Shreya Kangovi. Uh, Dr. Kangovi is uh, the founding executive director of the Penn Center for Community Health Workers. She's an assistant professor of medicine in the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. She received her bachelor's degree from Columbia University and her medical degree from Harvard Medical School. She trained in internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania and received a master's, a master's of health policy research from UPenn uh, as a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation clinical scholar. Uh, as a researcher, she explores patients' perspectives on socioeconomic determinants of health, healthcare utilization, and the efficacy of community health workers in modifying, modifying the determinants of, uh, of health. She has uh, led a, a team uh, that developed the so-called IMPACT model. It stands for Individualized Management Towards Patient-Centered Targets. Uh, and so without further ado, just want to introduce uh, Dr. Ken Kangovi. How are you today, Shreya? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me, Zeb. It is such a pleasure. I I have to tell you, I um, as we uh, started to, to talk a few weeks ago and um, and schedule this uh, uh, this uh, podcast dialogue, um, I have mentioned your name to a number of colleagues, and I have to say, and I shouldn't say this, and I'm not sure I should share this, but I've been surprised at how many people know you and have so much respect for you. I just uh, I guess I've never talked to them about about community health workers about you, but uh, but you you and your work are are and your in your team's work and divisions work are really well known. So it's just, I'm, I'm really, really excited to, to, to finally really get the chance to talk to the expert. And, and I've got so many questions I want to ask you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to this. So, so let's jump in. So um, could you uh, just start off by maybe giving a short um, description of what a community health worker is, what community health working is, and and what what gap does this fill in the healthcare delivery ecosystem? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, if we take a step back and look at what's happening in healthcare, um, which has been really exciting, of course, is it's a shift from a sick care system to a healthcare system. Um, healthcare institutions are now accountable for you know not just widgets like knee exams and MRIs, but really moving the needle on outcomes like uh, chronic disease control, primary care access, hospitalization for an entire population. 
So um, doing that means, um, particularly for lower income populations, that you're going to have to get outside of the hospital and clinic walls. And you're going to have to help patients address some of the real life challenges like you know, joblessness or hunger or uh, loneliness um, that really drive outcomes. These are the things that matter to patients that have traditionally kind of been not healthcare's problem. And now they are, um, which is really exciting. Um, so that's where community health workers come in. Uh, community health workers are people who come from within low income communities. So they relate to patients. Um, they're demographically similar. They, they share income, race, education, language. Um, so they've been there. Unlike most doctors, nurses, social workers, they kind of get it, um, what it means to, you know, have $3 in your pocket and be worrying about how you're going to make it to the next payday. Um, and so they're very well positioned to intervene on these real life challenges that I just mentioned. So. Um, the other part of the kind of definition, if you will, of, of who a community health worker is comes from the sociology literature, um, which describes them as natural helpers. Uh, I always say they're the type of person who brings soup to a sick neighbor, whether they're asked to or not, even if it's the end of a long work day. So it's this combination of, you know, demographic um, concordance and natural altruism that really gives this workforce, its shape and some of its value. Well, that, that was really an excellent <laughs> introduction and a, and a great brief description. Um, the, God, there's so many questions here. The, I, I guess the, the, you know, the, the one point I, would, I do want to underscore, and I, I um, heard you say it. And and actually when I was doing some of the background research, I've, I've seen some of the presentations you've given you emphasize this point that uh, so much of, of the outcomes of healthcare are we in healthcare, you know, attributed to medications and surgical procedures and whatnot. But we know from the literature that the vast majority of outcome of healthcare is actually a function of what you know community health workers actually focus on. It's it's the day to day stuff, these so called social determinants, whether it's about what you're eating, your physical activity. Uh, you mentioned loneliness, which uh, again is is um, and, and experts are just you know beginning to really talk about this. It, it, it may be one of the the most critical chronic diseases of our time, um, with tremendous impact not just in terms of how people feel, but also in terms of health outcomes and healthcare utilization and healthcare costs. So it it, it is a major determinant of health. Um, and, and so, you know, where you live, uh, the neighborhood, how safe you feel, transportation, all those things really contribute um, the, to the vast majority of the outcomes of health. And I, I just want to underscore that because it, it to me, it, it, it you know, it's, we talk about and I, I have the opportunity to talk to lots of experts in social determinants of health. And, and, and I actually spend a lot of my time actually working on it as well. Um, but we talk about it a lot. I, it's clear that we understand it much more than we did before and its importance. But I think we're, what you're doing is, and, and is really addressing the, the core issue, which is it's great to understand it, but how do you actually intervene in the social determinants? Right. I right. mean, it, it, you can't do it from, from the hospital bed as easily. You, you know, even from the office exam room in a doctor's practice, you know, it's very, very hard to, get into the social determinants of health. And so 
So to me, it, it, it seems like your approach, the community health worker approach, is is one of the, one of the major vehicles. And I'm 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 kind of curious, even before we get into the details of community health workers and your program, and the outcomes of your program, that landscape of different types of approaches. Are there other other avenues, other channels to to have impact uh, that either alongside community health workers or just how do you see that landscape? Or do you think that, you know, community health workers is really probably the most significant, you know, uh, piece that we have in our in our uh, armamentarium? Great framing topic, um, because I think that one of the most exciting things that's happening in healthcare and in this generation is the paradigm shift that you just mentioned, um, which is that you know, traditional healthcare organizations are beginning to tackle the fundamental social causes of poor health and health inequity. Um, this is a dream moment, you know, for um, those of us who have really kind of come up with, as you said, the understanding of how powerful these determinants were, um, but, you know, sort of felt like healthcare was powerless to intervene for the first time, I think. There's a um, uh, there's a real movement for uh, healthcare organizations to tackle these issues. So there's an opportunity, but I think the challenge, as you mentioned, has been lack of effective, scalable strategies. There are a couple of common approaches, um, aside from or sometimes overlapping with community health workers. Um, what we hear of most commonly are, as you mentioned, sort of the the screen and refer approach that tends to be telephonic and tends to still be um, office-based. Um, and so I think that has been um, really popularized by forward-thinking programs like Accountable Health Communities, which if you kind of step back and look at the intent of that um, demonstration project and you know, folks like Don Alley who have spearheaded that, um, it, it's, it's remarkable because it's taking unmet social need and bringing that into healthcare and allowing, you know, healthcare organizations to really measure in using closed-ended questionnaires um, what their population's social needs are. So, you know, this is where you see, um, you know, uh, screening questionnaires um, are done in primary care exam rooms or hospitals to see whether a given patient has, you know, food insecurity or transportation problems or, you know, faces domestic violence. So that, that's, that's a powerful way to collect data. Um, and in some ways, it's, it's great to then use for um, healthcare organizations to be able to refer out to existing social services, such as, you know, food pantries or public housing. So that is an approach. Um, and it, uh, it's exciting, but it has some important limitations that I think we ought to take a second to discuss. Uh, number one, for high-risk patients, um, I'll tell you, they're often, you know, there's a limited pool of existing resources, um, like, you know, existing public health uh, housing options or food pantries. And high-risk patients are often more than aware of these resources, probably more so than an office-based case manager or navigator. And they've probably already exhausted this pool. Number two, a closed-ended survey or screening questionnaire is a great way to, you know, gather discrete data elements that can be used for risk stratification, but it's not a great way to build rapport or really get at what is truly going on with an individual patient. Um, you know, saying, you know, have you experienced domestic violence? Yes or no. It's, it's a weird question to ask over the phone to someone that you're not sitting with and you can't get the nuances for. 
Um, number three, a lot of people have problems that are not easily solved by um, resource referrals. You know, so we talked a little bit earlier about loneliness or low self-esteem or, you know, people are, are, are sort of really interesting um, individually fingerprinted creatures. And, you know, it's, it's not always that, you know, calling, a, giving a certain phone number to a food pantry is going to solve their problems. Um, and, and in fact, it can actually lead patients, the, the, the data suggests, and some of our studies suggest, to feel like they're sort of dehumanized because they're refer, you know, cycling through these referral systems. So I think, you know, screen and refer um, has its place in the landscape of social determinants, but there are some limitations. You know, this is really uh, so, for me, so enlightening and so eye-opening. And, I, you know, I, I'll admit I've, I've been... Uh, talking about thinking about uh, community health worker programs for for many many years, um, uh, t- tried actually to start uh, at some point start them up myself uh, in in organizations I've been in, including the one I'm currently in, um, and I you know I think you're you're uh, but your your the understandings you're sharing with with us is really helpful. I think in terms of the advantages, because you're right. So you, we do these screens and, and we, we have more and more advanced screens and they're, which is fantastic. So we're getting the information. We have social workers in offices and in hospitals. We have care managers who also in offices and hospitals who do also mostly telephonic work. But I think the advantages that as I'm listening to the advantages of the community health worker in really dealing with these uh, fundamental problems that have a tremendous impact on health and health outcomes and healthcare utilization are number one, uh, and I'm going to put a list out there and I'd like you to respond to it. Number one is that um, they're definitely out there in the community. So they're not doing it from a distance. They're literally side by side um, in the neighborhood, in the home. Uh, in the gym, in the community center, uh, walking on the street with the person. Number two, um, it's real time. So we know that if you introduce something in the moment when there's a need, where there's, you know, the problem is present, the solution will have much more of an impact and people will probably do it and do it better and do it more in a sustained way. And, and then the third thing you, you know, you mentioned before was this whole thing of sort of concordance. So it's a person like me. It's not a person there in a white coat sitting there in their comfortable office, you know, with their electronic medical record and their computer, you know, and the desk between us. It's another person who kind of looks like me, comes from my background, comes from the neighborhood, talks like me. I can relate to, they can relate to me. Um, and, and there's something about that that is, and, and there's literature behind this as well that, makes me feel not only better as a customer but or as a client, but I'm more likely to follow through. So those were a couple of the, the kind of learnings I gathered from listening to you. Is that, am I getting that? Am I, am I missing anything really important too? No, I think that's it a hundred percent. And, you know, just to kind of echo what you're saying, maybe back um, in, a, in a reinforcing way, you know, you hear a lot of these terms like uh, community health worker, navigator, care manager, um, health coach, um, and so it can get really a little bit confusing as to what is going on with all of these different terms. I have a simplistic way of looking at it. I think of community health worker as a noun, and I think of things like you know navigator, um, care coordinator, case manager, health coach as as more verbs actually. So you know a community health worker can perform many of those functions. Um, a community health worker can support. Uh, can navigate, can coach, can coordinate, 
But beyond those functions, they have this unique shared identity that allows them to build trust with patients, um, ideally to be non-judgmental, because we know um, that a lot of patients, uh, low-income patients in particular, experience institutional classism or racism when they enter the healthcare arena, and they're less likely to do that with a community health worker. Um, these folks have experiential knowledge. They've been there so that they know, you know, this food pantry is not really high quality and this other, um, you know, fresh produce market is. And so let's go to this one. Um, so all of these factors really add to their efficacy. Mm -hmm. You know, that was another, as you were just talking and I'm picturing the community health workers and I will admit I have the advantage because I've, I've, I've been to your website and uh and to your team's website and um so i've seen this picture of the community health workers and and the other advantage of this is um and the benefit um is that it's it's happening in in the person's neighborhood it's happening you know where they feel comfortable and in their home court and so you know it is it is um Oh God, what's the word? It's it's a little disempowering. It's also you know to be in 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 a healthcare system. Um, thank God we have them, but you know it doesn't feel like home, and um, it definitely is not in your context. And it's it could be confusing and off putting and all those sorts of things. But to have this work, um, uh, you know, done in the context of your neighborhood and your home is 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 I think uh, an advantage. Um, that this this approach of community health workers brings to it. So so let me ask a question. What um so who who are these community health workers? I mean, you know, they're they're not trained clinicians. Where do you find community health workers? How do you screen for them? I mean, what are they actually most importantly, what are what are they actually doing? I mean, what what is their scope of work? What are they allowed to do? What what can't they do and what training do they have to to carry it out? You know, and, and before I get into those questions, I, I do want to just um, maybe throw a little cold water on this concept because we're we're sitting here hyping up the community health worker, which I think is um, a, a very intuitive and logical thing to do, you know, given that that's our topic. But let's not forget that community health workers are not a new concept. Um, they're maybe starting to, you know, cross over into a new audience, as I mentioned, you know, the, the formal traditional healthcare organizations. But these, um, work, this workforce has been around for a couple hundred years um, and, you know, dates back to, you know, the 1800s. And programs have come and gone um, over that period of time. Many of these programs have been unsuccessful, which is really sort of a fascinating riddle because the idea is a no-brainer. You know, whenever you start to talk to somebody about the concept, they automatically buy in. But um, then the question becomes, why would a good idea fail to deliver results? And um, luckily, you know, there has been some implementation science, mostly from the global health world, um, but also increasingly from the United States. And when, you know, just getting into our story um, for, you know, the model, the impact model that, that we've developed, uh, which um, we started doing in 2010, um, we were able to, you know, not start from scratch and try to reinvent this wheel. We uh, took the time to sort of read a lot of former studies and talk to funders that may have passed on community health worker programs and really ask them, what is wrong with this particular idea? And, you know, where has it gone wrong in the past? And why wouldn't you um, fund a program like this? It turns out that there are five ways in which these programs get into trouble. 
um, which I can get into um, either now or later in the conversation. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is it's Mm -hmm. not just lack of funding. It's nitty gritty implementation problems um, that have caused these programs to struggle. I I mean, I'd love to hear what what the five pitfalls are and and how you've constructed your model to get around them. Sure. Um, so, So the first is that this is fundamentally human resource innovation, and it's only as good as the people who are hired for the job. Um, as you alluded to, and many programs, um, despite this, sort of ignore hiring. Um, they focus on training, um, you know, instead of hiring, they kind of hire who um, ever applies, or they take a really traditional approach to hiring, like, you know, posting it on an online employment website. And that's not the way that you find natural helpers in the community. So as a result of this kind of, you know, misunderstanding of the hiring process, um, that's one of the things that has led to really high rates of turnover for this workforce. Um, you know, published rates have been 50 to 77 percent annually, which anyone who's trying to run a program or an organization knows that if three quarters of your workforce disappears the next year, that's the end of it. So that's problem number one is how do you solve a hiring um, issue? Uh, problem number two is that Again, I think people are seduced by the intuitive, um, wow, this just has to work, right? And as a result, there's not a lot of planning and infrastructure to a lot of these programs. Again, there's an overemphasis on, okay, you know, let's put them through standardized training. But then after that, what are they exactly doing, um, as you had mentioned? You know, who's supervising them? Where are they documenting? How are they staying safe when they're doing home visits in high crime activity neighborhoods? Um, what about performance assessment and quality tracking? There's, you know, a million different questions that are often overlooked. Um, and so that's um, certainly have been a weakness. Uh, problem number three is that many of these models have been disease specific. And it's not that they aren't effective because, yes, there have been, you know, numerous studies that show that diabetes promotoras or community health workers can improve hemoglobin A1C. But what happens when you have patients, as we all do, who have five, six, 12 comorbidities, you know, are you supposed to have a diabetes community health worker, you know, a peer for your addiction, a hypertension coach, you know, it it starts to get really um, like Grand Central Station. Problem number five, uh, four rather, is that some of these programs struggled to achieve a balance between clinic integration, um, clinical integration and, and maintaining their community grassroots nature. And then the fifth um, issue has been lack of high quality evidence for some of these programs. Uh, I think that's changing. There's a growing number of, you know, pragmatic and rigorous randomized control trials. But by and large, you know, frankly, in the social determinant space, we have an epidemic of pre-post studies um, that are really fraught with regression to the mean. And so you have some misleading results there. Um, So I'll, I'll pause and then I can talk about how we sort of tried to systematically approach these pitfalls. No, this is great. I, I just want to say as an, as a completely side editor, editorial comment, I'm I'm really glad you mentioned the, you know, kind of challenge of the pre-post studies because we we do use those and quote those quite a bit and um, they're not the best way to prove that something works. So, so thank you for just throwing that in there. But let me, th- that was really helpful to hear these sort of critical success factors or the, you know, pitfalls for that. And um I, I do want to jump into that in terms of who you hire and how you train them and 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 the support you provide them, ongoing support and and mentoring. Um, um, but before we jump into that, so so here you have a, a community health worker. They're 
they're out there in the community. They're working with with uh, patient clients. What what exactly can you can you outline the the different types of services they offer? How they would help someone? How long they stay with a person? Um, and what if I was a, a person you sent a, a community health worker out to work with me again? What would that look like, and how would I benefit from it? What might they offer me? Sure. And again, I can speak to what community health workers do in the impact model. Um, you know, there's really no such uh, community health workers are such a broad heterogeneous uh, umbrella term. Um, so there, uh, that that concept and the workforce is applied in all sorts of ways. So, but I can speak to you know the structure that we have within the model. So, so community health workers um, meet patients at the point of care. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. They don't actually do cold calls or, you know, do door to door visits to, um, to initially meet their patients. And that's because when we first built impact, um, we actually interviewed hundreds and actually thousands of patients to, to learn what they thought was making it hard to stay healthy and to get their ideas for the design for this model. And patients told us that they didn't want strangers coming to their door uh, or calling them. Um, it could be DHS. It could be, you know, a criminal. It just wasn't a safe, um, trusted exchange. So we made sure that there was a warm handoff or a warm pickup, um, you know, in a safe setting, whether it's the doctor's office, whether it's the hospital, whether it's jail, you know, whether it's a, a trusted local community organization, um, community health workers meet patients then and there. When they meet patients, they sit down with them and they do what's called the meet the patient interview, which is um, based off of a semi-structured interview guide that we've developed over the past 10 years. And it just is a conversation. It has a series of prompts, but really it's, you know, an open-ended eye-to-eye conversation where the community health worker gets to know their patient as a person, um, gets to know their life story, you know, their, their joys, their strengths, some of their challenges. Um, And a key part of this exchange is the community health worker asks the patient, Mr. Jones, what do you think will improve your health? (laughs) And I'm I'm laughing because it's sort of this magical, really obvious question. But, you know, Zev, like how often do you ask that of your patients? I rarely, you know, before I started doing this, you know, we don't ask patients. We tell them what we think they need to do, but we never ask them. So. This has been, in many ways, sort of a magical question because it allows patients to say, Mr. Jones, for example, to say, you know, for me, I need diabetic test strips and I need stable housing. While Mrs. Smith can say, you know, my son was murdered a couple months ago and I just need a reason to get out of bed. Um, and so, you know, each patient gets to choose his or her own adventure, which obviously has implications for buy-in. Um, there's a lot of efficiency here because, you know, you're not putting each patient through the same cookie cutter pharmacy teaching intervention or transportation, you know, intervention. Everybody has some flexibility, which can reduce fixed costs um, as compared to some of the team-based models that we see. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it's just a lot more lightweight that way. And it can scale across different diseases because that's a question that you can ask whether a person has diabetes or mental illness. Um, so, so that is kind of the, the foundation, you know, that meet the patient interview. And they use that um, interview to develop with patients really sort of tailored action plans for what the patients want to get out of their time working with the CHW. So for Mr. Jones, again, it's like, I want test strips. 
um, that I can afford regularly and I, I need to figure out what to do about my housing. Then community health workers work um, hands-on with patients um, for a fixed duration of time. Now that can vary based on some risk stratification that we do um, up front. Um, you know, so there are different durations of support that range from you know, two weeks to six months, and then some of our client organizations, you know, even longer than that, depending on the patient needs of the, of the population. But it is important to say that there is always a fixed duration that they tell patients on day one so that there aren't um, attachment issues or, you know, um, sometimes you can see with these uh, programs that don't have a mm -hmm. clear duration, mm -hmm. you're setting up a perverse incentive, you know, which is, if you do better, you're going to lose your community health worker and graduate from the program. So, so that can actually, you know, sabotage some of the progress. Um, so they so they have a set duration, and then they really just provide tailored support, hands on, um, where they're, you know, going with Mr. Jones to advocate with his landlord, or you know, doing a three way call to coach Mr. Jones on how to, you know, get. Um, his insurance company or his primary care doctor to prescribe diabetic test strips that are affordable. Um, and they really, they straddle a lot of different domains. Uh, one of the things that they do not do um, is provide clinical care or even health education. Um, if those types of needs arise, they connect the patient to the appropriate clinician, but they're not in the business of being barefoot doctors. Uh, I think their time is better spent, as you kind of alluded to, playing basketball with patients, going to the produce market, um, sitting on the porch and kind of just being a listening ear, those types of upstream mm -hmm. factors. Mm -hmm. in, in the videos, and I, I want to ask you just, so the, that initial question, what was that question again that, that you asked to get in that sort of get to know the patient? What do you think you'll need in order to improve your health? That's great. What a simple question. The fact that I had to ask you to repeat it is telling in and of itself, but um, right. Uh, it, 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 um, it's a great picture of, I, I mean, it's almost, um, it's almost like a life coach having, having someone around for a while to really kind of help you get back on track. Um, and I really love the, the psychology of the, you know, saying this is time limited because you're right. If you attach it to, to an outcome, there is a perverse incentive, as you said, it's just, it, I would not have really thought of that, that part of it that way. Um, so that's really, and so this is like one of the things that you've learned. It, it, it just seems in setting up a program like this, there's a thousand mistakes and errors you could make, uh, anyone of which could sync the program. And so it sounds like you've really, you and colleagues have been thoughtful in terms of researching what has been going on for quite some time and then developing a new program, this impact model that really gets around some of the, the mistakes and, and, and errors that have been made in the past. Yeah, I know. I think we've had um, almost now a decade of experience uh, under our belt, which is honestly, it seems like a long time, but these are really complex sociobehavioral interventions. So, you know, we've needed every minute of this time um, and it, you know, has really all culminated in this center of excellence, you know, the Penn Center for Community Health Workers. Um, and we, in that center to continue to do three sort of buckets of activities um, to, to help us continue to understand this model even more. Um, the first is research. You know, we started out as a research enterprise. We continue to do research. And what's fun about it is it's really a lot of mixed methods. Um, so I mentioned the qualitative interviews, which are, boy, I would never do an intervention without starting um, with qualitative interviews with the end user. 
Um, and I could talk more and more about that because that's been a real um, useful tool for us. So we've done that, but we've also done, you know, all the way through clinical trials. Um, you know, we've done three randomized control trials of the impact model and different um, diseases and settings and contexts. And um, those have really been pragmatic, um, you know, but very kind of gold standard evidence. And they've shown similar findings, um, including, you know, improved mental health, improved access to care, improved um, chronic disease control, and significant reductions in hospitalization. So those outcomes um, allowed us to sort of monetize what we were doing, um, because as you can imagine, particularly, you know, the, the quality improvements and the reductions in hospitalizations have value for healthcare institutions and organizations. Um, you know, in the pen context, there's a two to one return on investment. And that fueled the second set of activities that we have at the center, which is direct care. Um, we've been able to deliver impact as, you know, part of just routine population health management in the Philadelphia region to 7,000 patients. And that's a tremendous opportunity to serve the community, but also just a learning lab for us um, where we just continue to be able to, to see the work in real life and make adjustments. Um, and that in turn has fueled this third uh, bucket of activities that we're really focused on now, which is helping other organizations across the country to optimize CHW programs, you know, not reinvent wheels um, and, and to do these programs quickly um, and well, because the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is the fear that this magical opportunity moment that we started out the podcast talking about is going to close <laughs> if we don't get this right. Um, and so we have a sense of urgency about that. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I'm, I'm so uh, glad to hear that you're going out and, and helping other programs because I could imagine other programs sort of looking at this and saying, oh, we can do this. But there are so many pitfalls, as you described, um, and not every hospital or hospital system could set up what you guys have created. And of course, uh, the center you've created, but uh, for community health workers, but it's also the years of experience um, that you've garnered from it, and as well as the, you know, the the approach to the the, the science of management uh, that you've also put into it. So, um, I, I think it would be a tremendous benefit for others to uh, to take you up on this on that particular service. I, I do want to, boy, I wanted to ask a couple of questions. One of which was, you know, just kind of going back to this issue again. I, I, I again, I went through your website, and I would encourage um, uh, the folks who are listening to this to to take a, a look at the website. It's it's uh, got a, a wonderful uh, videos on it that you can. Uh, listen to and 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 see the community health workers actually uh, in action and what they do and and um, so actually maybe I'll put in a plug here. So what do you, what is the website uh, if someone wants to go to it? Chw.upen.edu. Okay, chw.upen.edu. Um, one of the things that strikes me about this is the the community health workers the chws do do really have to be pretty versatile and so they could be doing anything from just as you said listening or talking or singing with the the person or uh as you said uh helping them figure out how they're going to uh get some resources or funding or shopping with them um it it, it really is just a broad range and, and and there's something so human about it i mean i, I was struck by the even the use of storytelling how the community health worker would sit and in some sense 
almost helped the person reframe their life. And, and, um, it was almost like watching a motivational coach or a life coach in action. And so, you know, I, I don't even know how to describe it because again, there, there are, you know, it, it goes from something as, as just profound as that to something as mundane as filling out a form. Right. Yeah. Um, so do, do, how, how does, how do you, after you hire the right person, and I'm sure you have, you know, ways of figuring out who is the right person to do this work in terms of their, their, you know, versatility and their resilience and their empathy, um, and just their passion for people and their listening skills. But once you have that right person, how do you train them for the just diverse body of work? And, and uh, how do you oversee that? And 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 also, I imagine some of this gets pretty tricky because you're you're getting into people's lives, and and in particular, you know, folks who are dealing with uh, potentially abuse at home, uh, you know, poverty, uh, you know, potentially drugs and alcohol, violence. So how how does that play into it? How do you how do you put those guardrails up to protect both the client as well as the community health worker? Perfect set of questions. Um, I'll start with hiring because that is the number one, two, and three, I think, of our uh, success here. Um, we take a really different approach to hiring that we sort of uh, tinkered with for, again, seven years. Um, for example, instead of posting a job on an employment website, um, we write a really kind of easy-to-read job description, and we circulate that through local community-based organizations. And it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, it doesn't mean that we have to do, you know, six years of community boards. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty simple process. But the idea is that we are looking for natural helpers where they are likely to be found rather than, you know, waiting for them to stumble upon, you know, a hospital's employment website, which is barely unlikely. So, you know, we're going to block captains or YMCAs or churches or, you know, neighborhood um, uh, PTAs, and we're circulating a piece of paper that says, you know, are you someone who's always helped people in your family, in your neighborhood? Um, if so, we kind of want to talk to you. And then we do a lot of, again, organizational psychology-based um, screening to identify people who have the right traits for this job. We, for example, do meet and greets where we bring in, you know, a dozen job applicants and we give them some information about the position, but we also kind of take a look at their interpersonal skills. And we tend to gravitate, you know, away from the leader, quote unquote, who is sort of talking a lot and monopolizing conversation, which is interesting because if you look at the literature, um, there, you know, there, there are some sort of, there was a phase where community health workers were conflated with these community health leaders, you know, people who kind of stand up in front of church and um, tell everybody what to do. And there's a role for that type of person in a community, but that may not be the person that you want to tell your most intimate, you know, life problems and healthcare issues to. So we actually gravitate away from that and towards the listener um, that other people just seem to want to talk to. Um, and then we do rounds of one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews where we give um, applicants case um, uh, scenarios and role plays for example, you know, somebody plays the role of a difficult patient and we see whether the job applicant is going to um, judge that person or become frustrated or be a little too directive or if they're really 
truly concerned and, you know, are able to get to the underlying root cause of the quote unquote difficult um, patient, which is, by the way, a term that I hate. So using these kinds of approaches, we've been able to um, get our turnover rate from, you know, the 50%, 77% rates that we hear in the literature to 1.7% um, over the past seven years. And that's been just a huge efficiency for us. So, um, and we end up with people who, you know, not only are more, I think, empathic and, and, and good listeners and suited to this role, but we also look for people who have um, the ability to, to be versatile, like you said, um, and have more autonomy so that we're not afraid to give them a little bit more room, you know, than I think CHWs get in a lot of care team interventions or, you know, traditional interventions where they're just sort of the lowest rung on the totem pole, frankly, um, for a care team. And they're just sort of calling patients and reminding them about appointments or, you know, trying to get them transportation hookups. Um, our community health workers can can be a lot more creative because we've hired uh, a suitable workforce. Beyond that, um, I can pause there if there are questions about hiring, and if not, yeah. it's actually, as you were talking, a question uh, that I had wanted to ask you was how how does the community health worker um, integrate what they're doing with the let's say the primary care doctor, uh, how does, how does, how do, I mean, they're out in the community, but how does the information they're gathering or the interventions they're doing? Like if I was the, the, you know, a patient's doctor and that patient had a community health worker for a few weeks or so, what would I be, what would be my experience of that? And how would that come back to me? If, and, and I'm not sure that it has to, but if, how do you do that? Sure. No, it certainly does have to. Um, and we're, you know, that was one of the things that we were trying to solve for. So in, in the impact model, community health workers are embedded on clinical teams. And what we mean by embedded is that um, they have one site, whether it's an outpatient office or a hospital team, and they only pick up patients from that site so that they can, you know, build relationships with the, the frontline clinical team um, and get to know them over time. They have touchdown space so that they're physically present. We didn't want to fall into the trap of the disease management programs of the 90s, you know, that were remote and not integrated with the clinical teams. And so we wanted to make sure that they were physically there um, and, and knew all of the different, you know, social workers and the front desk staff and all of that kind of thing. So they're, they're physically there picking up from the same practice location over and over again, number one. Number two, um, they, they do accept referrals um, from providers, although they don't rely on them. Um, so that's something I can come back to, but you know, they can certainly accept referrals. When they pick up a new patient, um, the, the team gets a notification that this person has a community health worker. All of the community health workers documentation is in a customized software that we've developed that is capable of integrating with the electronic medical record. Um, you don't want to see every single CHW note in the EMR um, is, is really what we've heard from clinicians, patients, and community health workers, um, but select pieces of information can pull and push into the EMR. Um, so that's useful. And then, you know, community health workers, again, because they are embedded on these uh, practice sites, will call the attending physician um, as soon as they're done with that meet the patient interview. They'll swap notes and they'll say, you know, are there things that, you know, you think I should know about this person? They'll share some information with the primary care provider or the hospitalist, um, which can often really change care. And they'll send periodic um, EMR messages or attend huddles if those exist. So, so they're, they're pretty closely 
integrative clinical teams. Um, having said that, mm-hmm. with our approach, um, there's also centralized management and infrastructure. So we're not totally relegating CHWs, for example, to be supervised by a nurse, you know, who, who might only have 30% of an FTE in a given primary care practice and who's never worked with CHWs before. That's something that we see a lot in some of our technical assistance work. And I think it's not a surprise that it's expedient, but it may not be the best thing for program outcomes. Um, what we do instead is that we've baked into the model um, not only the CHW role, but supporting uh, and surrounding roles. Um, so there is a, a supervisor, um, we call them managers. These are typically social workers or people who have um, some you know, um, experience in case management or social work, and they supervise teams of up to you know, between four and six community health workers who can be dispersed across different clinical sites, um, but they come together, they report to the same manager who provides real-time you know, supervision is always available in case of, as you mentioned, you know, a psychiatric emergency or a suicidal patient or um, a domestic violence situation. Um, they're also the ones that manage the safety protocols for CHWs. So, you know, CHWs are only doing home visits in, in pairs of two um, because of safety issues. They text in and out to their manager who also, you know, uses uh, tracking on their mobile device to make sure that they're safe. Um, and so, you know, there, there's so many roles that the, and the manager also helps to, you know, ensure that community health workers are effectively integrated with their clinical teams, um, you know, because sometimes there is resistance or, you know, wow, there's not enough space available and the manager is there to advocate for the community health worker to be a part of the team. Um, so, so these are things that kind of allow the model to kind of function as it does. That's great. And, and I saw on your website too, that you, it seems like you have a pretty um, extensive training program that is, um, right. I don't know if it's largely or mostly online. So you have these modules that the uh, community health workers go through to initially train and I assume to keep updated in their training. Is that, is that right? That's right, actually. You know, it's, it started out when we were building this work um, we were sort of obsessed with reproducibility. So uh, we wrote a series of how-to manuals, um, not only for CHWs, but for managers, um, for program directors, for coordinators. And we joke in our team that we wrote them so that if Martians landed, they could sort of reproduce an impact program, which is really important to us. Um, And, you know, we, we still use those manuals. We update them quarterly through these things called design jams, where everybody, frontline staff come together and uh, revise based on their experience the, the manual so that it's a working, living, breathing document, um, including the, the manual for training. So that's how some of this started. And we developed, you know, a, a, a training, not, again, not just for CHWs, but for the managers, for executive education, for the program directors and all of that. Um, and we continue to, to have those trainings uh, and offer them in person um, but we also, and we offer the manuals, of course, but we also realize that, you know, it's hard to put together an Ikea bookshelf by looking at a manual, let alone build a community health worker program. So that's when we um, actually had a documentary, a team of documentary filmmakers follow our team around, both the CHWs and the supervisors, and film what they were doing so that they could bring to life some of the best practices that we 
wrote about in the manuals um, and trained about in the initial trainings. And that's became the basis for the online uh, training modules that we offer as a supplement to our manuals and in-person training. Wow, that's that's great. As you guys have done so much great work to put this together. Um, again, I'm, I'm I think it's just a you're a tremendous asset for other programs that uh, would want to do this. I, I want to ask you about the um, you mentioned the return on investment of two to one. And uh, you've done a number of studies in peer-reviewed journals um, that have demonstrated um, some good outcomes in terms of quality, uh, as well as uh, utilization uh, in terms of decreased hospitalizations. Could you just um, qu- quickly say that, and I and I, uh, you know, share that, share some bullet points around that. And really, what I want to the question I really want to get to is is it seems like this. It, it, not only is it a no-brainer, um, it, it, it just seems like, you know, given the cost of healthcare amongst, uh, you know, patients who are uninsured um, and and patients with Medicaid and, and you know, people in general are dealing with, you know, uh, the, the challenges of uh, the social determinants of health, it seems like this this is an underutilized approach. Um, I mean, I, I'm even as you were talking from the perspective of a primary care physician, I I, I wish I had had community health workers as as part of my team because it, it would have made such a huge difference. I mean, you, you know, you talk to patients in the office or in the hospital, you you know, try to see them back in the office, but that's it. And even if you have social workers or, or care managers, you're you know, they're doing it from from the office uh, or from the hospital. To have someone who's uh, like you, you you go out and you you know identify the right people with the right personality. And then you train them exceptionally well, and you provide them the support and the management um, uh, and the technological infrastructure, and you're integrating them into the clinical team. Um, it, it just seems like we should be jumping on this in a big way. Uh, the challenges of the social determinants of health is not going away. Uh, the cost of care are not decreasing. Utilization is not decreasing. So the problem is getting worse. And here's a great solution. So given some of the research and outcomes you're demonstrating. Um, financially, it seems like it, it makes sense. Clinically, it makes sense from a social societal perspective. So what what are the challenges? Why isn't this, you know, it's been around for a long time, but why isn't it, why don't we see more of this? That is a great question. Um, you know, I think in name, community health worker programs are, exploding across the United States. Um, There are estimates that there are between um, 50 to 100,000 CHWs um, working currently. The Bureau of Labor Services estimates that the workforce is gonna grow at a rate of 16%, which is very high. Um, So in some senses, it's not necessarily a story of underutilization per se, but it is true that the numbers don't speak to the quality of these programs. Um, I think a lot of these programs continue. I mean, there, there are definitely amazing exceptions um, across the country, um, and our work is not the only one. Um, and so we're definitely seeing better and better uh, program infrastructure. But I think still too often um, healthcare organizations are um, 
making the same mistakes that we've been making for a couple hundred years um, in terms of not having, you know, the hiring, the program infrastructure, the clinical integration, you know, the, the package. Um, and they're just hiring CHWs or people that they are labeling as CHWs um, and, and assuming that it's going to work. And, and the real interesting sort of behavioral, organizational um, behavioral question is why? Why does that happen? Um, because, you know, folks who wouldn't think of inventing their own chemotherapeutic regimens um, are often seen DIYing these community health worker programs that are fairly complex. I think it's um, because of maybe the subtle bias of, um, you know, how we approach social determinants and community-based programs um, with a little bit of condescension, frankly, you know, that, okay, well, that's the soft stuff and it's, you know, anybody can do it and it's not like you're, you know, putting together a molecule here. Um, so why can't I just go out and hire and start a community health worker program? I think that comes into play. I think the, the misleading data is really a big problem that I struggle to really um, communicate um, to, you know, even really sophisticated policymakers and decision makers. People really just believe pre-post data and those same pre-post data are used to uh, derive really outsized return on investments. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, you talked about our approach, which is to take data from our clinical trials and use that to measure um, return on investment. Um, ROI is only as good as the outcomes upon which it's based. And so if you're basing your projections of ROI on some flimsy science, you're going to think that you're going to get, you know, a 10 to 1 ROI when you might actually be losing money. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of exnovation that might need to happen for some of these programs that are that are based on misleading science. Um, and then finally, I think there is a tech bubble in healthcare right now. Um, there's this real obsession with um, using technology uh, particularly in the social determinant space. Um, and while I think technology absolutely has a role, um, there's not necessarily an app for this, right? You need something um, beyond technology that's going to be able to, you know, get its hands dirty and solve some of these complex problems on the ground. Yeah, you know, to, to, to that point, um, I, I've been reading more and more about this uh, almost sort of, I'm not going to call it counter technology, but just, you know, the idea that the technology we have is no question it's going to make things better and it's enabling in so many ways, but still people are people want to 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 talk to people and get healed by people and you get motivated by people and so I mean I, I see it even even um, the community health worker as a potentially a way to bring technology to to people who otherwise might not use it or might not know how to use it. So if, for instance, some monitoring device, I mean, it's one thing to have someone give you a box and say, here's, you know, take this diabetes monitoring thing or this weight monitoring thing and put it into your home and use it. And um, it's another to, and even explaining it in, you know, in the office is one thing, but to have a community health worker who could take a piece of technology and show you where it goes and how to use it and be there when you use it. Um, I mean, it, it actually could enhance that as well. So, Shreya, could you just very quickly, the outcomes that you've seen, and again, I so appreciate your, your, your honesty and uh, about and transparency about the fact that so much of the data we collect and analyze, um, if we are not uh, really robust in our, in our methodology, can make it appear that we're actually 
demonstrating improvements, whereas we're really we may not be. But in your in your uh, investigation and your research, um, what are what are two or three um, uh, improvements or outcomes you've seen as a result of of uh, the community health worker program in your hands and your impact model? Sure. Um, and I'll start by saying that I don't think that every healthcare organization that uses a community health worker program needs to redo a randomized control trial. I certainly would never advocate for that. Um, but I do think, you know, as with anything else we do in healthcare, it's good to use an existing evidence-based intervention, ideally something that's been tested um, in a randomized way and then adapted for the local circumstances. So what we've seen in our uh, clinical trials so far um, has been encouraging We've seen improvements in different aspects across the triple aim. Um, so on the quality side of things, um, there have been increased patient-reported quality metrics like CAP scores or HCAP scores, which are um, important because they're publicly reported and in many cases um, uh, tied to value-based payments. Um, we've seen an increase, a 13% increase in access to post-hospital primary care. Um, there have been improvements in actual health outcomes, things like mental health, um, chronic disease control, um, uh, as measured by uh, hemoglobin A1C or BMI or smoking. And then there have been reductions in um, hospitalizations um, of uh, approximately 30% um, over a period of a year. So taken together, um, I think, A, it's nice to see an intervention that moves all aspects of the triple aim, you know, in some ways modestly, in other ways, um, much larger effect sizes. But sometimes in healthcare, we, um, you know, it's, it's called the iron triangle for a reason. It's hard to move all three at the same time. And sometimes we move one at the expense of others. So we were pleased to see these results in the same direction. And uh, frankly, it, you know, it, it was sort of an exciting experiment to see whether doing what patients want could move hard clinical outcomes. Um, there was a lot of skepticism about that. You know, what do you mean you're going to ask patients what they need and have them develop the action plans? You know, shouldn't community health workers mostly be telling people to get mammograms and cervical cancer screening? And why are they going bowling with patients? Um, and it turns out that hmm. it works. <laughs> right, right. That's fantastic. Um, you know, again, I just, I, I come back to this this image, the images and the imagery I had of the watching your videotapes, which were again, you know, definitely I could see that you hired professional people to do this. What in, in this work, is there a patient or a patient story that you're particularly proud of or that, you know, kind of demonstrates what, what this can do, what, what community health workers can do? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> there, are, there are literally hundreds of these stories. Um, you know, I just spoke with a woman on the phone the other day um, who had an experience with a community health worker that she wanted to share with me. And she was someone who, um, you know, uh, lower income, um, kind of 60-year-old white woman, um, lived in, you know, a part of Philadelphia that's, you know, mostly Caucasian, high rates of opiate abuse, um, you know, heavy smoker, um, had previously worked in the school system, but um, got into some hard times and, you know, lost her way with that a little bit, um, had some troubles with addiction. And she um, had had multiple hospitalizations for her diabetes, had, you know, definitely interacted with case managers, social workers um, before, nurse navigators, 
and never really, you know, she's, she's kind of an independent standoffish woman, didn't really click with any of them and um, met one of our community health workers um, and just immediately recognized that this person was a little bit different. <laughs> you know, he was just kind of approaching her as a human being, uh, got to know her as a person. Um, they talked about her childhood, which was something that she didn't do that often, but she had this wonderful childhood and it turned out that her life took a turn when her father, you know, passed away and they talked about what, you know, they used to do together. And, mm-hmm. um, and, um, it, it was actually that they, they did, they, they, they had gone bowling and she was actually sort of someone who was in a bowling league and, and, uh, when she was younger and associated that with being like physically fit and able to do things that she couldn't really see herself doing anymore. Um, and so, um, the community health worker took her bowling, um, and she just was like so blown away that he was doing that because she was a caregiver for multiple people, um, mm-hmm. you know, her family. And he, the community health worker asked her, you know, who's taking care of you? Um, and what could we do that's, that would be fun for you so that it could be a motivation to do these other things? Because, you know, that's important. And so, you know, she, she had a really amazing time and then was more motivated to do the things that we think of as traditional health behavior, but um, it needed this human spark to get things going. And I think that's what our team is amazing at. Yeah. We often forget, uh, you know, we're fixing people's bodies. We often forget that, uh, that life is about purpose and meaning and uh, sounds like your community health worker, you know, brought that back for her. Um, what a what a great uh, such a touching story, um, and you can see how this could really translate into into helpful behavior and better health outcomes. So you know, I know I've kept you on for a while, and and I really appreciate your hanging in there uh, with me. Um, is there is there a take home message? Uh, a couple of things you'd like to you know leave people with about this work. Yeah, I think, um, number one, if done well, this can really improve health and lower costs. And that's sort of what everybody's after. Um, And I do think that this has promise um, to achieve those outcomes, but it's not a magic bullet. You know, it it, it depends on successful execution. Um, Number two, I just want to say that working closely with community health workers has been, you know, the greatest privilege of my career. Um, It sounds cliche, but, you know, (laughs) before I started actually working with community health workers, I had read a lot about them and, you know, knew about the theory of this, but then to meet these really good people who exist out there, you know, we can be so cynical, especially in this day and age in America, it's it's pretty rare to trust folks that you don't know and you can get this impression that most people are sort of, you know, not good people or something like that. But just to meet these individuals who on the weekends, if you ask them what they did, they volunteered at a soup kitchen after they, you know, did intensive community health work all week. Um, and they're fun and they're, they're cool and they're really smart. Um, so it's just a reminder, um, about who is outside of the box of healthcare and being able to really tap into, I guess, these angels in the outfield. Those are the two key points. 
Oh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, so Shrey, I, I, I just want to thank you so much for uh, just educating us and informing us and uh, inspiring uh, us with this work. I, I, um, I'm more convinced now, even after, uh, even more than even the, the research I did leading up to this, uh, this uh, dialogue we've had today, I'm more convinced that, uh, that, uh, community health worker programs, if done well, as you say, uh, uh, and executed well and carried out well, um, can really make a difference. I, I just, I see this as such a necessary part of, of, uh, of the healthcare ecosystem, uh, in our future. So, um, I just, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that your message gets out there and the message of your colleagues around the country get out there and we see more and more of this. And, um, I always end up, uh, the, the program with just a, a shout out and a thank, a thanks, uh, not only to our guests, uh, our expert guests, but also to the folks who are out there listening to this podcast who are either taking care of patients, uh, or, uh, supporting others who are taking care of patients. I just want to thank you for the, hard work that you're doing each and every day. It's such, uh, such important work. And so, so again, thank you for listening to the program. This is Zev Neuwirth. Uh, you've been listening to Creating a New Healthcare. And again, um, Dr. Govi, thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you. It was a pleasure. My pleasure.